When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Patriots Beat, episode 312. I'm Alex Barth, filling in for Mike Petraya this week. This episode of Patriots Beat is brought to you by betonline.ag. Visit clnsmedia.com slash win and use the promo code CLNS50 to get your welcome bonus. I am joined on this episode by another member of CLNS, another member of CLNS Patriots coverage. It is... Evan Lazar, he is our beat reporter. Evan, funny running into you here. Yeah, wow. Long time no see, you know. <laughs> so the reason I had Evan on is, one, because I couldn't get a better guest and I had to settle for Evan. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Always great talking football with you, Evan. But uh, me and Evan posted a joint Patriots roster projection yesterday. You can find that on CLNSmedia.com if you are somewhere listening to this where you can pull it up. Uh, that might not be a bad idea to do, so you can follow along with us. So we'll give everybody a minute here. Again, if you go to clnsmedia.com, hit the NFL tab at the top, you should see it says New England Patriots roster projection 2.0. Now, before we get into the projection itself, Evan, um, something quick I want to cover, because when I did my first one last week, I got maybe more positive feedback for this than anything else. And it never really occurred to me, but it's something that I'm going to make a point of doing here going forwards. Um I got a lot of compliments for listing the players who I was leaving off the roster under the cut section. Yeah. Apparently not everybody does that. I can't remember like growing up if people did it or not, but apparently that's a huge deal. There were a bunch of people talking about that last week. Yeah, I think the big thing is is that maybe us um, reporters that are there every day take for granted that not everybody knows every single man, you know, ninety all ninety guys on the roster. So it's definitely helpful, I think, and it's even helpful as like a thought exercise too for for me when I'm doing my projection to look at the guys that I have cut out of position group versus the guys that I have on the roster, and it helps you kind of debate it a little bit better in your own head. So I, I I'm sure that you know up in somewhere in Patriot Place in the guts of Gillette Stadium they have a big whiteboard or some sort of magnets where they're moving guys around and stuff like that or something to along those lines, and they have a similar strategy, I would think. And I, I will say I, I think that sometimes the players that you leave off are just as much the story as the players that you have on. Yeah. And we'll, we'll start with our roster projection with that because that was – we had only four spots – four spots, pardon me, four spots of 53 that we disagreed on. But one of them comes right away. It comes at the quarterback position. You are carrying three quarterbacks. I believe Brian Hoyer. I don't think he gets cut, but I think with backup quarterbacks going down – with Hoyer playing well, uh, with the Patriots kind of at the end of that window and needing to maximize every roster position, um, I, I think that they will, before the deadline, find a trading partner and end up trading Brian Hoyer. That is just something that I, I think we could see happen down the road here. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you. I think that they could shop Brian Hoyer, and if they could get something back for him, then I think that they would definitely do it. I just don't know what that would look like. You know, it, it would look to me, or I would think that 
if they're going to trade Brian Hoyer, it's going to be something with the, the pick that they're going to get back. I would assume it would be a pick. They probably get some sort of pick back with a condition on it based off of playing time. Like if he does have to end up starting a couple of games or something like that, then a seventh-round pick becomes a fifth-round pick or something like that. I just don't see them getting better than a day-three pick for him. And I, even if they can pull off that trade, I, I'm I'm a little bit kind of weary of having Stidham be the, the primary backup to this team. Now, I think the interesting thing is is that if Brady does go down, uh, knock on wood, that Stidham is probably should be your guy anyways in that kind of situation because he might as well let the young kid play and see what he's got. Right, well, but, that was... Brady and Heward back in 01. That was because Heward right. was technically the backup. Brady was the third string, but they went with him. Right. Yeah. And I, I think we've seen that in the past and up with other teams. That you carry three quarterbacks. You have a veteran backup. But really, what's your ceiling with that guy? I get it. I just think that the biggest thing with Hoyer to me is one, he's still a reliable backup quarterback. I think he's still pretty solid in that role. And two, I think that he's a really valuable asset to Tom Brady. And just helps a little bit contribute to what makes Tom Brady great. I'm not saying that he's the reason why Tom Brady is great, but there's just a little bit of help and extra added benefit of having a veteran, 11 year veteran like Hoyer in the room with Brady. And Brady pointed out last year at times that, you know, Hoyer might see something in his mechanics or might see something in the defense that he, you know, points out to Brady that Brady's not seeing while he's playing because Hoyer has more of like a bird's eye view of the whole thing. And it's just having that kind of back and forth, I think, is valuable. I don't think that it's, you know, the, the most important thing ever that should save Brian Hoyer's spot on its own. But I, I do think there is some value to it. I just think you mentioned going to Stidham if something goes wrong with Brady. I just think that the drop from Brady to anybody, even Hoyer, who I've, I'm on the record as saying I think may be the best backup quarterback in the league. He's certainly top three. Um, and, and he moves up if we no longer consider Tannehill a backup, which may happen. But that's another conversation. I'm on the record as saying I think Brian Hoyer is one of the best backups. But the drop is just so severe that if you lose Brady this season, I think is more or less lost anyway. And at, at 42 years old, are you better off holding three quarterbacks? Or are you better off opening another roster spot for a guy who can help you win right now and maximize on Brady's window? And that that's, at least personally, where I'm coming at that one. Another place we had disagreement, and this was actually at the same position. This is the only position where where we both had – we had the same number of players, but different names. Top receivers are the same. Julian Edelman, Josh Gordon, Philip Dorsett, Nikhil Harry, Jacoby Myers, and receiver in air quotes, Matthew Slater. But we disagree on that last wide receiver spot. Last, you know, compared to us, how you want to put it on the depth chart, whatever. You're keeping Demarius Thomas now officially off PUP. I actually have Demarius Thomas off. And I'm staying with Braxton Berrios, so I'll let you go first on this one. Yeah, I think that with Thomas, is obviously nothing that we've seen yet because we haven't seen him out on the field. But he's just something about the fact that they've kept him around since April and they've had him working out. They have him at practice every single day along with Julian Edelman, those two NFI guys. or Well, Thomas was a pup guy, but similar circumstances. And they were both kind of hanging around at practice. There seems to be like this feeling around the team that Thomas is going to be on this team. So that's kind of what I, I just was reading between the lines there with that one. I, you know, watching his film last year, it certainly, you know, even pre Achilles injury, he was not the same guy anymore. I don't know how much he really has left in the tank. I would rather them keep one of the younger guys like Mo Harris or Braxton Berrios. It was just a feeling that I got, you know, watching and observing that they had Thomas so involved, even though he was on the pup list, and then they bring him off the pup list 
early. You know, I really earlier than I think anybody expected. If he had started the season on pup and, you know, they had to wait until week six for to bring him back, then, you know, maybe circumstances would have been different. But they seem to be bringing him back for a reason, you know, and to see what he's got and see what he still has left in the tank. So I just think that there's too many signs pointing towards they kind of think this guy's going to be involved this year. So I'll be honest. I was pretty surprised that Thomas came off PUP. Kind of like you said, I thought they could stash him for the first six weeks. The yeah. reason I'm, I'm keeping Berrios, though, is I just think in terms of – as a kick returner and specifically a punt returner because it's in, I think it's in their best interest for Edelman to stay away from that punt return role this year unless, you know, maybe it's the last play of a game or whatever and you need a big return. Berrios has been very good as a returner. He has. He's looked yeah, good, he and outside of Edelman, nobody else has really proven they can do that on this Patriots team. Gunnar Olszewski has been okay, but he's – you're not going to keep him as a returner. You're not going to keep Olszewski. Berrios has a potential future. He has an upside as a slot receiver. He can return kicks. I just think is is Demary and this I guess is contrary to what I said about the quarterbacks and what I said about Brian Hoyer. But Thomas is probably the better short term option. I think Berrios is the better long term option. But I think this is a position where you can afford to play long term because you have all that depth ahead of you. Uh, uh, they have all that depth ahead of them. Originally, though, I'll say this. So it wasn't a one-for-one swap for me. I had Thomas and Berrios both on, and then I forget what the other cut was, but there was somebody else I put back on the roster and took Thomas off. So I wouldn't rule out both of them making the team. I I don't think that that's an unrealistic possibility that the Patriots end up rolling with, uh, what would that be if you include Slater, eight wide Seven or eight. That's eight, including Slater. So that's seven without, although you could say Berrios in that case qualifies as solely a special team or you almost put him in Slater's category if he's just returning kicks. Yeah, and I like the idea of having Barrios return punts. I think he is a natural back there. You watch him return punts and he doesn't fight the ball and he has that kind of slithering style of a returner, kind of like Julian Edelman, where he just kind of knows where guys are going to come from and he's able to dance around guys and even pick up, you know, eight, ten yards back in field position, even if he's not picking up 60, you know, and taking it to the house. I think the thing that, you know, I, I see, though, it, one thing that I always think of when it comes to ju- putting Julian Edelman back there is that a lot of people have asked Bill Belichick this question of why do you risk putting a guy as valuable as Julian Edelman on punt returns, and his response is always football players play football, you know, and the, he's always seemed to be in the school of thought of, you know, that that's a big part of the game in itself. And that if Julian Edelman's the best guy on the roster return punts, then Julian Edelman's going to return punts. The other thing with Demarius, too, is, you know, listen, I, I'm obviously high on Nikhil Harry. I think we all have high expectations for him. We all hope that Josh Gordon can stick around. But Thomas does give you that outside, bigger bodied outside receiver to have insurance behind Gordon and behind Nikhil Harry. Jacoby Myers is going to be more of a slot guy, I think, or at least a Z, and be moving around the formation a little bit more. So if, you know, Gordon, if he ends up tapping out at some point, if Nikhil Harry is, you know, a rookie and he doesn't get off to the start that they want him to have, then they have Thomas there to kind of hold down that other outside spot. So I just want to correct something I said at the top, by the way. It's, uh, we only have three differences, not four. Three differences. And then um, on uh, on the, the third for you is at the tight end position. So we both have Matt Lacoste, and then you have Lance Kendricks. I actually didn't have another tight end. I think the Patriots have so much size 
at that wide receiver position. Three guys over 6'2", 200, and they have some good blocking wide receivers. I think Julian Edelman might be the best blocking wide receiver in football. Timmer Larry Fitz. Uh, Nikhil Harry's a big dude. He's shown an ability to block. Josh Gordon's a big guy. Demarius Thomas, if he makes the team, is a big guy. I could see them rolling with one tight end to start, and then after September, you figure it out when Watson comes back where you're making that cut. Somebody might get hurt. I have them rolling with one. Uh, why Lance Kendricks as your second? I understand why you want a second, but between guys like Izzo and Beck, who are those strong blackers, Saubert, who they gave up something to get, uh, why Lance Kendricks? Yeah, well, I think that, you know, the main thing is, is the second preseason game. He really impressed me as a run blocker, but I think that, you know, it's also the fact that he's a veteran. He's been around the block a few times. He's been with Josh McDaniels before in St. Louis. Well, now, you know, with the Rams, uh, whatever you want to call them these days. So that I think is, that's the way to say he was with right. He was with, with Josh Louis. McDaniels in St. Louis. I mean, it's not like he yeah. was with Josh McDaniels in L.A. <laughs> so I think right. I think that's the right way to do that. Okay, I got it. So Lance Kendricks, uh, I think, has shown me enough as a veteran. I think the biggest thing is, if, you know, and you could really look at this multiple ways and say that you know Ryan Izzo should be this guy or or Beck should be this guy, but. There's such a difference between having a presence at tight end that can block in line versus receivers on the perimeter. You know, I think the biggest thing is is that when you when you line up at line of scrimmage and you don't have a tight end, right? You only have the A to gap, the B gap, and then the outside, right off tackle. When you put a tight end, it's another gap. It's another area where the defense needs to put an assignment to cover that run fit, right? And right. in order to do that the defense is probably going to have to put seven or eight guys in the box if you have the right personnel. Now, obviously, they have James Devlin, and the fullback is a big part of their run game, of course. But James Devlin's off the line of scrimmage, so it doesn't have the same numbers advantage of putting a a tight end that can block in line. The second part of it, too, is that they have the ability with the tight end to block closer at the line of scrimmage, whereas with a fullback, as we know, he's coming from the backfield. So he's got a couple of yards that he's got to make up for. Now, the great part about the fullback is that you can go either direction with him, right? You know, you can run left or you can run right. Would you rule it out, though, them maybe putting James Devlin up on the line of scrimmage? I wouldn't completely rule it out. I just have never seen him do it. He was a defensive end in college. Yeah, I've never seen him. Whatever that's worth. I've never seen him put his hand in the ground and block somebody like a tight end. So until I see him do that. I don't know how big of a believer I am in that. And what I have seen out of Matt Lacoste is enough to make this team as a receiver, but he is a, not a very good blocker at all and really is a guy that I see as a move tight end, your joker. You can move him around the formation. You maybe play him in the slot a little bit. And, you know, on third downs, you can certainly play with the hand in the dirt when they're not going to be running the football. I think they need a blocking tight end in this offense. I think it's a really paramount thing because of just what it presents, the things I explained schematically. So they only carry one tight end in Lacoste that really can't block. I think really limits a lot of the things that they can do running the ball. And Or, you know, you're going to have to run a lot out of, you know, no tight end sets, or you're going to have to just roll with Lacoste and hope that he can hold up in the blocking game. I want to get back to Lacoste in a minute, but for those of you following along, if you've noticed – Evan has a couple more guys right now on the roster than I do. I actually have two more uh, on defense. We were all the same on defense except for uh, I had Byron Coward making the team and Nate Ebner making the team uh, special teams-wise. So I, if you have a thought on either of those, Evan, just kind of why you left either of those guys off. Specifically, let's, let's talk about Coward, specifically Coward, why you chose to leave Coward off. 
Yeah, I've really liked what I've seen from Coward. I, I think that he has some potential. He has got some useful tools, and he fits the system pretty well. I, I think that he's the perfect candidate to stash on injured reserve, just like they did with Braxton Berrios and Duke Dawson and a lot of other guys last year, Ryan Izzo. I think that he's the perfect candidate for that because they do have some veterans ahead of him in the depth chart for that interior defensive line spots, and it would have to take – you know, a catastrophic run of injuries for him to have a real role on this team this season. So I would love to still keep him around. Don't get me wrong. I don't think that they should just cut ties with him completely, but I just don't know how he fits into the scheme and how he fits into the numbers, I should say, this season. You know, Lawrence Guy, Danny Shelton is now playing a lot better. You have Adam Butler. You have Mike Pennell. Where does Coward fit into that? I think that he is pushing Pennell a little bit, and they've kind of maybe are starting to go with more in penetrators at the nose tackle position, guys that can penetrate the line of scrimmage versus guys that are too gapping and holding the point of attack. So maybe that fits Coward a little bit more than it fits Pennell, but I just haven't given up on Pennell. I think that he's a good veteran player, and he was very good with the Jets last year, and he fits what they do up front. So I think that there's just too many experienced guys ahead of him where if he makes this team, how much is he really going to play? And, uh, and, you know, what is his exact role? It's, it's a pretty thin type of role, I would think. So let me ask you this. If there, there, there was one thing, and obviously you put it out and it's the 53 and that's what you believe. But if there's one thing you could have put on and almost like it's, it's too extreme. It's too good to be true. Like put on like, I don't know if this is going to happen, but if it does, I'd love to put it down because I want it in writing and I said it would happen before. Like one bold prediction like that for the roster, what what would it be when you were putting this together? Did you have any thoughts like that? Hmm, that's an it's an interesting question. I Do you want I me think, to go first? Because I have one. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think it's to go gonna first. upset you actually. Oh god. So I only went with one tight end, which you didn't like in Matt Lacoste. Yeah. I was actually somewhat tempted to go with no tight ends. Yeah. I really was. Because again, the size at the wide receiver, and I understand with the blocking, but I the size at the wide receiver position, they have some guys that they've they, in the past they've not been afraid to use extra tackles as tight ends when they really want to run the ball when they really want to make a point of it, and I just think we see how much of an experiment they can be in September, pretty much year in and year out for the last five years. They're always an experiment in September. That seems like the kind of thing Bill might do to get a look at some other guys on the roster, knowing that no matter what happens, even if all the guys he cuts go away and get signed other places, he has Ben Watson coming back in October. No matter what, he's going to end up with an experienced NFL tight end come week five. So do I think that will happen? No. And I, again, I didn't ultimately end up doing it. I, I think the, there's a better chance it doesn't happen than it does. I would say there's 10, 20% chance that happens, but it, it kind of was just gnawing at me in the back of my head. Like, I wouldn't be overly shocked if the Patriots go from the greatest tight end of all time to the next season opening up with no tight ends on the roster. I, I, again, it's out of left field. It's not necessarily meant to be taken super seriously, but it was just this obscure thought that was just kind of in the back of my head while I was putting this together. No, I mean, listen, before Kendricks had a good game on Saturday night against the Titans, I only had them with one tight end, too. So I don't think it's that crazy. I think the issue with putting like a tackle out there or, or one of the other offensive linemen out there is that my guess is, is that would be a pretty big indicator to the defense that it's a running right. play. Right. Like I, I would think that if they are going to put a tackle eligible out there, they're going to be running it 90% of the time or something. No, that would more so be like a goal line type solution. Right, right. So, to, so really, like I said, I, it's the biggest thing. 
is that it's the box count, right? If you right. only have five guys on the line of scrimmage in the box, you know, the five offensive linemen, if you only have those five guys, you only need six defenders in the box. And what is this game about? This game is about passing the ball and making yards through the air. That's how any type of stat that you look at is going to tell you that the team that passed the ball more successfully in a game wins the game a very, like, mo- most of the time. I don't know exactly what yeah. the exact number is, but it's high. Call it 95. Yeah, so I so the the point is is that it's all about box count and the defense having the necessity to cover a certain amount of gaps along the line of scrimmage. That's what the tight end presents to you. So could they right. do it with the big receivers? Absolutely, but those big receivers are going to be perimeter blockers. Now, the one thing that they could do, and they the Rams still run a ton of, they still have a tight end on the field. They still run eleven. But what they could do is they could have some more condensed formations where they're putting guys right. in reduced splits closer to the line, closer to the offensive line. That way, there you can get the receivers on linebackers and get them more involved in the blocking. And let game. me just throw in real quick because I forgot to mention this before. This is where it helps that not only do they have big receivers, but guys like Nikhil Harry and Jacoby Myers who are big, they have experience playing in the slot. They have experience inside the numbers where guys that size, that's not always the case. Right, and so McVeigh runs, you know, they bring it back to the Rams, McVeigh runs 11 personnel 95% of the time, something crazy like that. And they run a lot of those reduced splits, condensed formations where guys are in bunches and stuff like that, right near in tight to the offensive line. And they crack those linebackers all day long with outside zone handoffs, right? You know, they're going to try to get Todd Gurley an ability to get to, you know, aim right at the right hip of his right tackle. And then they're going to try to get him some comeback, cutback lanes back up the field. That's the goal. That's how they want to gash you. Then they obviously run a lot of their play action stuff off of that. So there is capabilities, there is ways to run out of 11 and block and have guys like receivers block. Now, when you start to get into running like 20 or running 40 and you're not, you don't have any tight ends on the field, then, you know, where does that really come from and how do you really get the blocks and how does the box count look on every single down? It's going to really favor the, the defense in terms of stopping the run. It's just going to be schematically harder to run the football. And I think that this team needs to be able to run the football to be successful. Right. Again, never said it would be easy. Never even said it was, you know, what I think will happen. Just. Right, kind of I just wanted to, you know how I love the out of left field. Let's let's do a thought experiment with this yeah. sort of thing. So it was kind no, of that. no. I I understand where you're coming from. I just wanted to explain the kind of the right. X's and O's of why the tight end, even if you're not having a Gronk level blocker at tight end, why that yeah. influences the defense so heavily. And that's why this works. I throw out crackpot theories, and you kind of put them in X's and O's terms. <laughs> Speaking of which, though, do so. Do you have maybe a bold roster thought? Yeah, for us so as we get so, ready here. You know, I, I feel like I've piled on Deron Harmon a lot the last couple of weeks. But like you said, there's a ton of young talent elsewhere on this roster and a ton of really good, you know, potentially NFL players now and down the road. I think that Deron Harmon is becoming a point of being on the bubble at this point. It kind of reminds me of Jason McCourty a little bit last year, right? Okay. Just a veteran guy that you know, is going to probably be playing in the fourth preseason game, and all of us are going to be like, what's going on with Deron Harmon? Listen, I like Deron Harmon. I think that he's a valuable backup to Devin McCourty. He's really the only other guy that they have on the roster that can truly play free safety in this defense. But Terrence Brooks has played that free safety role in practice and in the preseason games pretty well. 
Terrence Brooks is kind of like a hybrid player. He has the ability to play multiple positions on the defense. I think that the ideal role for him is more like a Patrick Chung type player than a Harmon or a DMAC. But I think the thing with Harmon is that when I watch him play, the anticipatory skills to read route combinations, read route breaks, and break on the ball before the quarterback throws it, I just don't see it there with him, and I never really have. He's not a that, and that limits his playmaking ability from a deep safety position. If you are in a position, you know, guys that are true ball hawks, right? Like, a, you know, obviously these are guys who are like Hall of Famers, but like an Ed Reed, for example, right? His he was so good at being a ball hawk because he read routes off the line of scrimmage and he knew where the quarterback was going with the ball and he was able to jump those routes before the ball got to the intended receiver. I see a lot of. Ron Harmon staying back and ta- coming up to tackle guys and the interceptions that he does get I feel like are a lot of tip balls or a lot of overthrowed passes so long story short I just think that they could really use some of the spots elsewhere like if you cut Harmon or you trade Harmon you have a spot for a Byron Coward you have a spot for Shalee Calhoun you have a spot for Derek Rivers you want to keep Duke Dawson and you don't and you still believe in Duke Dawson you want to keep another receiver you know you can go all the way up and down the roster it just gives you another spot to add a guy back into the mix all right before we wrap up here something non-roster projection related but uh I just want to mention this Madden did their first title update um today so what happens is the game's released and then about once a month they fix major bugs or if things are too overpowered underpowered they go through that and the patriots were actually featured pretty heavily first off tom brady's superstar ability was toned down because it was too overpowered and it was that when tom brady's your quarterback all of your offensive line get ratings boosts tom brady the only quarterback who was powered down Aaron Rodgers has an ability where he can't throw interceptions when he gets in the zone. But no, they powered down Tom Brady instead. And then the other one that was interesting, and I was texting you about this before. I'm curious your thoughts on this. Uh, they added Hosjuke concept plays to the Patriots playbook. It was the only playbook adjustment they made. They said this year for the first time they're going to do regular playbook updates. The first one, only the Patriots. They had this one concept. As somebody who's in deep with the X's and O's and how this all works – why do you think they saw the need to add that? Were they correct in adding that in the authenticity of it? Well, the final game-winning drive of the last Super Bowl, the Patriots ran Hoswide Juke on three straight plays and went right down the field with it. So that's the play, right? You know, that's the, the Juke series that the Patriots have. They run a couple of different combinations outside on the perimeter. So basically what Haas stands for is – Hitches to the outside and slot seam routes, right? So you're going to run little hitches on the outside with the boundary receivers, and you're going to run seams up the middle with the guys in the slots. And that, you know, usually it's out of an empty, and they go empty with it, and then they have the slot receiver, who's usually Julian Edelman, is going to run an option route over the middle of the field. That's the juke route, usually. It's either you're going to juke to the inside. It depends. You're reading the leverage of the defender, right? So if the defender has outside leverage, you're going to juke over the middle. If the defender has inside leverage, you're going to return to the outside. If the defender is playing zone, you're going to sit right in the middle of the zone and not wait for Tom Brady to throw you the ball. It's a route that Julian Edelman and Tom Brady have both just run to, you know, perfection for the last decade. It started with Wes Welker. Um, he started running it as well, and, and he did it obviously very well too. The Patriots will run a couple of different variations of what they do on the outside, but that juke route in the middle is kind of the basis of the whole thing. All right, so that's that's what I should run is what you're saying next time I play Madden. 
Well, they ran it three straight times against the Rams, and the Rams could not stop it. No they Gronk, ran... though, this time. No Gronk this time. That's true. They ran into what the they threw the hitch to Burkhead on the perimeter. Right. They threw a juke one juke route to Edelman over the middle, and then obviously the seam to Gronk to set up the touchdown. So again, Madden uh, coming after the Patriots with with knocking down Brady, but at least they gave us that. Again, if you want to check out our roster projection, that's up on clnsmedia.com. You can click it under the NFL tab, and then we will have full coverage of the Patriots' third preseason game against the Carolina Panthers. That is tomorrow. Follow us on Twitter at PatriotsCLNS, online clnsmedia.com. The coverage will begin, I believe, we're hoping, returns from last year. One of our favorite features, uh, Evan and I did, is the drive to the game. We'll be periscoping our ride over to the stadium, right? We're doing that again? I mean, I'm good. You're good with it? Yeah, absolutely. we got to do it again. It's one of my favorite things we do. It really is a lot of fun, and it's so easy. We just go on Periscope. We answer your questions. When we drive to the game, you get to see me get annoyed at traffic. It's a great time. Yeah, so, we answer past questions. We answer fantasy football questions. The one time we'll answer your fantasy football that questions is the drive That is to true. The, game. the only time we ever talk about fantasy football. Yeah. So at Patriot CLNS on Twitter, check that out. Evan, thank you so much for taking the time. Of course. Glad we did this. Absolutely. This edition of Patriots Beat, that's edition 312, is brought to you by betonline.ag. Visit clnsmedia.com slash win. Use promo code CLNS50 for your welcome reward. Uh, Mike Petralia will be back next week. For Evan Lazardo, I'm Alex Barth. Thanks for listening. Hello, I'm Dan Lothian, host of the Behind the Media podcast on the CLNS Media Network. Along with Jimmy Young, we dive into the biggest media headlines each week with honest, informed, and sometimes irreverent perspectives. It's not all serious. We deliver information and entertainment. As we like to say on Behind the Media, we find the interesting in media so you don't have to go searching for it. Listen to our podcast and get prepped for the next trip to the water cooler. Subscribe to Behind the Media wherever you get your podcasts or find us on www.clnsmedia.com.